Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The guy's tough. He's got more than guns. He's got God. You know, if you had come out on, on the day that you indicated that you promised that you were going to come out, none of this would have taken place. You denounce the fact that I have a God that communicates with me. That's the first, that's the first mistake that we, that we nobody, make. Nobody, nobody is saying anything Listen. about your religious beliefs. The problem on this thing, man, David, is that this thing has lasted way too long. Oh, it, it, it has. It should have never gotten started this way, and that was right. not our fault. And you're willing to send out 30 people? Look, 50. whoever wants to go out... No, 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 no. Don't, don't tell me that. Tell me that you're sending somebody out. I'm not going to... You don't see you don't understand about these people yet. And you don't understand about the people here yet, either. Okay, well, if this is the way we want to play, then we come I'm to a point to I'm not wanting to where, play anything. Look, you are playing. No, no I'm not. Want not to I want him to take something as planned. No, nobody is. People just want to see some progress. Some progress is being made. You don't realize what kind of progress is being made. There are people all over this world who are going to benefit from this book of the Seven Seals. All I can say is, is that if you want to, to, to place this in the history books as one of the saddest days in the world, There you heard some audio of one of the negotiators talking to David Koresh from the FBI tapes recorded during the negotiation process in Waco in 1993. It's been 25 years since the ATF began surveillance on a religious compound near Waco, Texas, that was home to David Koresh and the Branch Davidians after the ATF had learned that they were stockpiling and illegally modifying weapons. The ATF then conducted a failed raid on the compound that left four federal agents dead, six Branch Davidians dead, and several others on both sides wounded. This led to a 51-day standoff between the FBI and the religious group that, as many know, ended in tragedy when the compound burned to the ground. Joining us now, the FBI's chief negotiator during the standoff and author of the book Stalling for Time, Gary Nesner. All right, Gary, looking at all the different elements involved in this situation, it makes it a pretty unique situation. We got David Koresh and his extremely powerful influence over the Branch Davidians. We have a shootout with the ATF that left casualties on both sides, and David had actually prophesied the U.S. government coming to attack the compound before. Uh, So with all this in mind, how do you approach this situation? What's going on through your head as a uh, negotiator? Well, you've correctly summarized the the sort of factors that, that I think uh, helped make this one of the, if not the most challenging situation any anyone's had to face in terms of a negotiation. And, uh, you know, what you have to recognize as a negotiator is that you can't uh, turn back the hands of time and make a bad situation better. So your focus really has to move beyond uh, the loss of life and the uh, high emotional content that's taken place and try to uh, calm things down and create a relationship of trust where you can uh, work to to make sure that no one else gets killed. So that's that's the pretty pretty clear focus of of your activities, and that's what our team tried to do. Now you guys came up with a pretty cool strategy to let them kind of know that you're we're all just humans, uh, and where you actually videotaped yourselves and talked about how you guys had families 
of your own, and you guys sent those videos into the compound. Could you tell us a little bit more about this strategy and uh, what kind of response did you receive from it? Yeah, it was interesting. It, um, as I recall the sequence, it, it, in one of the conversations, David Koresh or his deputy, Steve Snyder, mentioned that they had um, sort of made cartoon drawings of what they thought we looked like. <laughs> and 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 we picked up on that, and we, we were thinking to ourselves, well, maybe to humanize ourselves, we'll send the videotape in. And what we decided to do is um, record the, I don't know, six, seven, eight, ten negotiators who up to that point in time had spoken with folks inside, including myself. And we video tells ourselves um, uh, delivering a, a, an upbeat, positive message of cooperation and intent to make sure they all came out alive and a concern for their families. And most of us showed pictures of our own families as a, you know, additional boost to that approach. And uh, um, I think it was quite effective. All right, uh, Gary, we talked about the different elements in this situation that made for a pretty tough assignment, but let's add one more. The negotiation team and the tactical team were utilizing completely different strategies. Uh, just kind of tell us what was going on, what was the tactical team doing, and how did it affect things on the the uh, negotiation side? Yeah, it, it, we had two different approaches, and it was a, that's a departure from what was even then longstanding FBI policy, and and uh, principles that in a crisis, the tactical and negotiation components who, re- who report to an on-scene decision-maker really have to um, speak from the same sheet of music. They may have different recommendations they make to the on-scene commander, but once a decision has been made to pursue a certain strategy, then people need to, to line up that. What we ended up having was a, sort of a, an aberrant command structure where the tactical folks sort of pursued a, a more aggressive, in-your-face uh, demonstration of, of their frustration to sort of uh, compel the Davidians to comply and come out, whereas we as negotiators realized that would be counterproductive. We ne- needed to create a relationship of trust and convince them to come out. So that was um, ended up being a, a huge impediment to our ability to um, stay on track and and get the sort of resolution that we'd hoped for. We did get 35 people out, including 21 children, but um, the, the, the ill-timed and uh, often inappropriate tactical initiatives were a, a, a real obstacle to, to achieving the ultimate success we wanted. Okay, and uh, just tell us some of the things the uh, tactical team was doing. They were uh, conducting psyops. Kind of tell us, what, what what was that all about? Well, you know, it's sort of idle hands the devil's workshop. You. Uh, you know, we had a very highly trained tactical team, the FBI's elite hostage rescue team, and they're used to being very dynamic and going in and conducting a hostage rescue. And in this incident, day after day, week after week, they're sitting there waiting with really nothing to do. And I think some of that frustration uh, manifested itself in, in some of the things they did. They played the loud music, as you mentioned. That is a <laughs> strongly not an FBI negotiation tool that's recommended. In fact, is um, usually counterproductive and and uh, makes us look foolish, and as it did in this case, uh, they went forward with armored vehicles and crushed cars, or um, you know d- disrupted the outside area. Um, you know, engaged in 
I don't know, demonstrations of anger and frustration. And, you know, when you're a negotiator on the phone and trying to create a relationship of trust and say, you know, to David Koresh or company, hey, you can trust me and depend on me. I can, I'll do what I say and you'll be treated fairly. And then you look out your window and a tank is crushing your car. It's a, it's hard to, uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard to make that argument that we're, we're there to be, uh, to be helpful. Got it. <clears throat> It's wild to hear you talk about kind of the philosophy and the psychology before it because it's like on a grand scale, just little arguments you have with people. If you're going to come at them with just anger and, you know, a sense of uh, power, I feel like in every day to day arguments, this whole uh, this, this conversation is changing my life here. Um, but uh, could, could you tell <laughs> well, us? A we li- see it, oh, go we ahead. See it in our political discourse today. Yeah, we we quickly want to demonize. Our, our enemy. I mean, there's no question David Koresh was um, an extraordinarily challenging character. He was very manipulative and he would say things and do something else or make representations and not follow through. And, you know, he tried to manipulate and control not only his loyal followers, but us as well. And that's frustrating. As a negotiator, I'm kind of used to that. Um, I think the tactical people are not. And, um, you know, there's sort of that traditional, hey, I told you what to do, and you're not doing it, so now I'm going to make you do it. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, when you have women and children and innocent lives, that you're just going to have to adapt to a different, less aggressive approach. But, yeah, we, we see it throughout life. When people um, get, get very angry and uh, when they disagree with someone and um, use that to demonize them in general. I mean, you see in our political discourse, oh, you guys are all libtards or – you're a knuckle-dragging conservative. You know, wh- whatever it is, we're sh- we throw names at each other. We pick and hold people in the boxes that allow us to discount everything they say instead of looking for, uh, you know, ground in the middle and areas of potential agreement. We seem to be in a rush these days to find areas to discount the person oh, and um, yeah. and delegitimize their position. Yeah, no. it's 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 an obstacle to cooperation that's a that's a profound thoughts and even as a philosophy for life you can kind of hold on to that and uh keep it close to you and it'll help you in uh you know day to day see eye to eye with someone you know maybe learn something new about yourself Uh, i love it man i got another question here for you tell us about steve schneider and his relationship with david koresh what did you learn about steve and how did you implement that as part of your strategy yeah david koresh was um a learning disability. He wasn't particularly well educated. He he was able to memorize large parts of the Bible and 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 impressed um, his followers with that that ability. Steve Snyder, on the other hand, had a master's and was working on a PhD in theology. He was very articulate, very bright, uh, well educated, well spoken, much more so than Koresh. And there was also a, an issue of uh, some years prior to the incident, uh, Koresh had decided that he would have exclusive sexual access to all the women. And he fathered the child with Steve Snyder's wife, uh, uh, Judy, and, and they had been unable to, to have a child for many years. So we sensed in Steve Snyder conflict uh, that he was loyal to David um, on one hand, and on the other hand, you know, this was a wife that he loved and a child now that he cared for, but he wasn't the father of. And um, we tried to uh, sort of mildly put a wedge between the two because we always felt that Snyder was a reasonable person. And if we had 
been able to negotiate with him, we would have solved the whole situation. I mean, in fact, early on, David Kresh had been wounded in the initial shootout, and you know, frankly, we were hoping he would he would get septicemia and and die because had he done so, there's absolutely no question in any informed person's mind that we would have convinced Steve Snyder to lead everybody out alive. All right, Gary, so we've been negotiating for days and even weeks now, and David finally agrees to come out, but under one condition. And this is kind of a, a strange deal that uh, you guys made. Uh, tell us, what deal was that? Well, he wanted to have a, a message broadcast to, uh, you know, to, to the world and um, about his basic interpretation of the book of Revelation, that very mysterious part of the Bible that is a you know, very dark and um, widely interpreted in, in very different ways. And um, and so we were, however, concerned that, you know, this would be a precursor to, to a suicide, that he would say his last bit and take take everybody with him a la, a la Jonestown. So we, we, instead of giving him live coverage, asked him to prepare a, a, a tape recording, and he did, it's 58 minutes, and we listened to it and showed it, uh, presented it to the religious department at Baylor University and asked them to look at it and um, listen to it rather and make sure that it didn't contain anything suicidal in there. Um, and we also, and it didn't, and we asked them, him, Koresh, to incorporate within the statement a promise to come out if indeed this was played very clearly, unambiguously. So we did all those things. And and then we, we set up the process through which the orderly exit from the compound would take place. We went through it in great detail. Everybody agreed to it. It was a sort of derived that in a cooperative way. And yet when time came, Koresh uh, had a vision from God that said he was to wait. So, you know, a skeptic might doubt that God actually spoke to him at that time, but, you know, who am I to say? But uh, it, it was certainly irritating and extraordinarily disappointing to we as negotiators. But as negotiators, we're used to people saying they're going to do one thing and something else, and we don't necessarily overreact to it, whereas the on-scene commander and the tactical uh, commander really took it personally and, you know, ordered tanks forward to do things that were um, made it even worse. So this is kind of emotion that you deal with in these situations when people – we have a saying in negotiations, don't get even, get your way. So, you know, try to put aside your your personal frustration with someone's statements or activities and instead focus on the task at hand. And uh, that flipped away in this particular incident. I, I would have preferred a strategy rather than moving forward with armored vehicles and, and punishing them for not coming out. I would have used it again and again to say to them, hey, we did everything you said. We promised. We upheld our side of the bargain. You know, we're the good guys here. And, you know, I went out on a limb to let uh, you, you play this. I convinced my boss for you to play this. And then you turned around and you, you know, you didn't do it. So how am I supposed to help you if, if that's what you're going to do? That would be the approach that you would really hammer away endlessly. Okay. And so even after the agreement to come out, um, uh, David, uh, you guys made this final agreement. I believe there's some lawyers involved that were allowed onto the compound to talk to him. And they said uh, once he was done writing his version of the seven seals, the FBI, uh, he would then come out. However, yeah, the F- yeah go ahead. No, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I interrupt you before you finish the question. But, uh, yeah, in, in essence, that's what happened. Now, I was gone by that time and had been replaced. But 
nonetheless, uh, that is what happened. You know, not only did we send in the, the negotiator tape, we sent in tape of the kids that had been released. We did a lot of really innovative things that had never been done in the negotiations. And one of the things we did was allow two attorneys, defense attorneys, to go in to essentially a crime scene. I mean, you just don't do that. It's like, it's like a bank robber's holding hostages and you send his attorneys in to talk to him. Uh, it's just unprecedented. But we did it. And, of course, they came out and they said, hey, well, you know, as soon as he writes the seven seals, we're good to go. Now, you know, that sort of put a stop on everything the FBI was doing. And this is, you know, probably in the day 40 or something by now. Um, and, and then as the passing days went by, we found out from Steve Snyder and others that he hadn't begun. He hadn't begun to write the seal. Nobody had seen him. He refused to send us out any proof that he'd been working on them. And, uh, you know, command at the time uh, in the FBI became convinced that um, he was just stalling and it was a ruse. And um, so that's what I think uh, helped rationalize in their minds that, you know, short of uh, assaulting the building, uh, the only option really law enforcement had and has to this day is putting in gas to force people out. You know, know that uh, the way the plan was implemented would was well thought out of, but that was their thinking. Yeah, and I was going to say, uh, I guess the FBI, they went to Janet Reno and uh, President Clinton and told them that they were they feared that children were going to be abused if they were uh, in there much longer. And the FBI, at, at this point, um, the tactical team had completely lost any patience they had. So when you found out uh, they were going to go in with CS gas, did, did you hear about that? And what, what was going through your mind? Well, I did. I, after I left Waco at the halfway point, I went overseas uh, for something else. And I came back a day or two before uh, the tear gas insertion on April 19th of 93 and was told by my boss that uh, I was either going to be sent back to Waco or that they were going to be putting in tear gas. And the next day he called me up and said, don't come into work. Just go to FBI headquarters to the command post. They're going to put in tear gas. So that's where I really heard about it. And you know, what happened at the time, they, they didn't talk to Clinton, but they did go to Reno, uh, Attorney General Dan Reno, and and they did present that uh, there was ongoing abuse. Now, you know, I can't say that that wasn't happening, but there's no question David Koresh had had uh, sex with uh, underage girls, including some as young as 12. We had no contemporary information that that was still ongoing, and, and frankly, I think a valid criticism could be that uh, knowing that Janet Reno was particularly focused in her prosecutive career before becoming an attorney general on children's affairs, that that card might have been played as as a real powerful card to convince her to uh, support that plan, and and she did. And uh, you know, obviously nobody foresaw that how it was going to end, but um, yeah, I, I think the frustration levels rose so high, and they felt they could be there for months and months more, if not longer and Koresh was just not going to come out and um, there wasn't a lot of tools left uh, it's an insane situation I mean that whole thing and it's interesting to hear someone Gary like you who has you know a calming presence calming voice and I, I guess does a, does a lot of that come naturally or how much like uh, training did you have uh, to kind of you know because we're all about helping each other in this community, and and you know what what you probably learned as a negotiator is probably what we could all learn 
to get, uh, you know, a little bit better discourse within uh, the, the ranks of just being human beings to each other. So could you enlighten us a little bit on that, maybe? Well, you know, I think some of it is, a, you know, a natural personality. I, I see some of it, you know, I saw some of it in my father. He just was the kind of guy that always looked at a, at a complex problem in, in a calm, reasonable way and didn't allow his emotions to dictate his behavior. And I think I inherited some of that. But and then also a lot of it's learned and appreciated that, you know, in order for me to influence you or anybody else, I have to be in control of my own emotions. In fact, in my book, Stalling for Time, you know, I begin chapters with various quotes, and I have a partial quote from Rudyard Kipling in one of the chapters, and it's, you know, if you can keep your head about you when all else are losing theirs. I mean, that, I think that sort of denotes the, the attribute of a really good negotiator, that rather than allowing your uh, emotions to impede your rational thought and behavior, it's not that you don't feel the emotions, you just control it. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a trauma surgeon sees a you know, a young child come in that's really badly mangled and, and may not live. Well, you know, rather than sitting there and crying and, and um, you know, wallowing in, in, in the terrible tragedy of it all, the, the surgeon doesn't have the luxury. you just got to get to work to try to save this child's life. And I think that's what a negotiator does. You just say, hey, this is, this is a really bad situation, and there's, loss, there's, there's lives on the line here, but I, I can't allow my emotions to impede my clear thinking in terms of, trying to convince this person I'm here to help them, and it's not only in my best interest, but their best interest to cooperate. So I'm, I think all of us could benefit from that in life, whether we're having arguments with our children, our spouses, our, our friends and coworkers. Um, you know, we always have the saying that listening is the cheapest concession anyone can make. So you just calmly and quietly allow that other person to to express what is bothering them and how they feel about it. And by acknowledging that and paraphrasing it, uh, you, you really tell them, hey, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand how you feel. It's a, just a, an enormously powerful uh, tool of social influence. We could learn a lot from you, Gary, really. We could. Uh, I had another question real quick. Did you by chance watch the uh, six-part series of Waco? Yes. You know, I was involved in uh-huh. that. And, uh, you know, my book rights for Stalling for Time were purchased as one of the two books for the basis of that. The other was uh, a, a, a Waco book written by David Thibodeau, one of the Branch Davidian uh, survivors. So I was a consultant and, you know, on, on set and uh, with the scripts and so forth. And, you know, I, I think they did a good job. I think they, they tended to paint Koresh a little too sympathetically because probably that's because Taylor Kitsch is such a wonderful actor. And uh, Yeah, he did a great uh, job. He plays such a wonderful role, and it's so sympathetic. But I can't complain because I had Michael Shannon play me, you know, twice Academy Award-nominated uh, actor, you know, who's just simply amazing and, and I think did an incredible job. So it was it was a lot of fun being involved in the project. I, You know, I think they, they tried to do the real fa- fair and balanced approach of what it was like inside looking out and what it was outside looking in. And, you know, that might have been some things I would have changed, but, but overall I, I think they did a fine job. Yeah, I think Michael Shannon did a great job, and you were probably just watching the like. Yep, that's me right there. That's that's definitely me. <laughs> well, he wasn't. I don't think he was trying to imitate me to the extent that Taylor was trying to imitate Koresh. But oh, yeah. but you know, he certainly put his own mark on it, and we spent a lot of time together and uh, got to be friends. And I, I just, he's just this amazing actor, and it's really quite phenomenal to see somebody who can express so much thought and emotion 
with just a look or a facial expression. I mean, beyond the dialogue, he's just um, he's just a powerful on-screen presence, and I was really delighted and fortunate that, that he, he played Gary Nessner on the screen. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. They'd probably pick, like, Matthew Lillard or someone to play me. Someone with just, you know, <laughs> I still got it on my DVR, actually. It's great. <laughs> yeah, so, well, right. I, I'm just lucky Danny DeVito was tied up on other projects. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, so Stalling for Time, uh, your book, it sounds amazing. And uh, now is, is most of it we've been, talk, we've been talking most about Waco. Is mm-hmm. your your book? I'm sure uh, incorporates all of uh, the hostage negotiations that you've had over the years. Is there any negotiation that kind of sticks out in your head? Uh, either you know I would have done this differently, or one that didn't get as mm-hmm. much as the uh, publicity as Waco. Well, there's several in there. I, I talk about prison riots and skyjacking and uh, <sighs> different incidents I worked through the years, and I, I try to be candid about what I thought we did well, and also what what mistakes were made, but, you know, it's a personal journey of my growth as a, as a human being and a negotiator, but it's also um, a story about the, you know, the, the, the growth of negotiation as a, as especially within law enforcement, you know, it only started in the mid seventies. So, you know, it's come a long way and saved perhaps more lives than any single thing law enforcement has ever come up with. And, you know, the concept of, of, Diffusing a tense situation and and steering people away from violence, uh, you know, no one can even begin to calculate how many lives uh, have been saved, not only nationally but internationally, because we've taught this all over the world. So it, it's pretty powerful stuff. I, I think Waco is certainly the biggest and most prominent chapter in the book, but but uh, one that's largely unknown and shouldn't be is three years later we had an 85-day standoff in Montana with an anti-government group group called the, the Freeman, and in that instance, on the heels or ashes of Waco, as you as it were, you know, the FBI director then, Louis Free, said, hey, he said, Gary, you tell us the way to go forward on this, and that's the strategy we're going to do. And so in that case, unlike Waco, the negotiation strategy prevailed, which, which it should, absent, uh, you know, other indicators. We should always take the least violent course of action. Um, and after 85 days, everybody came out, no shots fired, nobody injured. And it was a great, I think, validation and test, testament to the fact that, um, you know, that's how we should have done it in Waco and, and, and been given the, the support to do it the right way. And, and it validated the whole approach of negotiations. I was very proud of that. But, of course, since no one died and no fires, you know, it kind of fell off the news, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the news screen. But it's, it's um, you know... Uh, it's addressed pretty pretty uh, thoroughly in my book. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Gary, uh, we're going to let you go because I know you're probably a busy guy, and thank you so much for talking to us. But this show we're, uh, we're on, this is a very pro-liberty show. We talk a lot about Second Amendment rights, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, just overall uh, being free and, and just minding your own business. Don't do anything that hurts anybody else and everybody's okay. And I think the, the Waco story really encompasses – all of that. So it's been amazing hearing your side of the story. And uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, talking to us today. Well, you're more than welcome. All right, Gary, have a good one. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Every topic is on the table here at WGNU 920 AM and 106.9 FM. 
Hey, Patty Moe from Let's Get Comfortable. Well, hello, Jimmy P. Also from Let's Get Comfortable. Remember when you were a kid and you didn't have a lot of friends? What are you talking about? I actually had a lot of Well, now you always will have a friend, Pat. Just search for WGNU 920 AM and 106.9 FM on Facebook. I'm still kind of hung up on the part where you said I didn't have any friends. So if you're socially awkward or just completely unlikable, it doesn't matter. WGNU will always be your friend. Tell them, Patty Moe. Um... Apparently, WGNU will always be your friend. That's right. Search for WGNU 920 AM and 106.9 FM on Facebook and give them a like, and we'll all be happier and more popular. Let's watch and see what makes people like one person and not another. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Financial advice you can understand on The Dave Ramsey Show. What is the definition of a millionaire? Well, the definition of a millionaire is someone with a million dollar, a one million dollar or greater net worth. Net worth is defined as what you own minus what you owe. If you sold everything off, paid all your debts, would there be a million dollars or more in a pile? What you own minus what you owe, your assets minus your liabilities. When that equals a million dollars, you're a millionaire. The Dave Ramsey Show, weekdays at 1 p.m. right here on WGN. Hi, I'm Jay Ashcroft. Here at the Secretary of State's office, we take the integrity of our elections seriously. Missourians agreed and passed Constitutional Amendment 6. Missouri's new photo ID law is now in effect. Have questions about the new voter ID law or need to register to vote? We're here to help. Visit showittovote.com or call 866-868-3245. Remember, if you're registered to vote, you can vote. Sponsored by the Missouri Secretary of State's Office. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Sports and entertainment, business and politics, health and wellness, all on WGNU, the talk of St. Louis.
I'm tired of Earth Day. I'm tired of these self-righteous environmentalists, these white bourgeois liberals who think the only thing wrong with this country is there aren't enough bicycle paths. People trying to make the world safe for their Volvos. Narrow, unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there is nothing wrong with the planet. Nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are f***ed. Difference. Difference. The planet is fine. Sophisticated, WGNU 920, streaming live at WGNU920AM.com. Guys, do you know what today is? What's today, sir? It's uh-uh. June 8th. Oh. National Best Friends Day. Well, oh, we just looked yeah. at each other. According to Facebook. Okay. And that's where I get all my information from. It's real? It's, that's, word on the, that's the digital version of Word on the Street. Hey, you can guarantee it's true on Facebook. For the most part, yes. For sure. Abraham Lincoln taught me that. So I thought it'd be fun if I quizzed you guys, because you guys are clearly best friends. Mm. Yeah, well, you're the only two in here, so we had to go with it. <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I thought them. I thought we'd play a little something. I'm calling the best friends game. My guilty pleasure. All right, so how this is going to work is I'm going to ask you guys the same questions. Okay. I'm going to ask you guys questions about each other, right. and we'll see what you got. Oh, see, man, you know, I'm going to bomb this because I can't stand uh, this. This is, this is ridiculous. I know everything uh, I about I put a Craig. lot of thought into these questions, and in fact, if any listeners have any questions for you guys, little best friend questions as we're calling them, feel free to text it in, 314-880-0808. Blown up. All right. Steven, let's start with you. Okay. You ask uh, if I was to ask you about Craig here, uh, pizza night or taco night? If I was, to, if you were to ask me about Craig, um, I know a lot about this guy, and <clears throat> I'm actually going to go. I think he's a big uh, Mexican food guy, and I'm going to say tacos. Even though we've eaten pizza together more times, I'm going tacos. Delicious, righteous tacos. Craig, is he correct? He is correct. Oh, that's I awesome. could have ta- I could. Uh, uh, full disclosure: my family we do street tacos eh, four nights a week. All right. Well, um, awesome. I know. Awesome. Great call. Great call. I knew that. I think I'm just going to go back and forth here for oh, time purposes. Do I get to answer that same one? Because I think Steve is pizza night, personally. I'm pizza night. He's pizza. Oh, yeah, I'm pizza that. night. Cool. He's right. Got it. Mm, pizza awesome. night. A little pineapple and ham. <laughs> All right, Steve. What month and year did he meet his significant other? He met her. The a- actual day would be great. All right. I. But we're just looking for the month and the year. The month and the year is going to be June, and it is, I'm going to say somewhere around 1645, because I believe these two, these two have known each other since the dawn of time and have lived many lives together, but maybe like three years ago, for real? Yeah. Yeah, he almost you. threw a question there, Miss Opportunity. Years ago. And it sounds like you have an anniversary coming up Four if years. that's true, Craig. Uh, Four years, five years. He's close. If it's when I very first met her, it was yeah. actually uh, New Year's Day 2011. So he wasn't close. <laughs> Seven, but when did but you guys the, get together? Our, our first uh, date coming together was September 29, 2012. And he was your ride. That's how he remembers. He drove 2012, so we're six <laughs> years. I wasn't too far yeah. off. 2012, Michael Morse actually hit a grand slam against the Cardinals, and they made him go back to home plate and take 
like yes, a fake, fake him swing, swing fake and swing. run around the bases. That's the best thing ever. It was very, I know it's a very strange piece of information, but it was September 29th, 2012. We were that playing the Washington speed. Nationals. And what, when did uh, Stephen meet his significant other month and year? Ooh. And you got the actual date? Okay, I'll take a stab at this. Uh, I, I know that we came together um, at a uh, probably when they were a little bit younger, but I'm going to say uh, they met, started getting together probably around the time of, um, I'm going to say, July of 2003. Steven? Wrong, sir. July of 2000. What did you say? Three? Yeah. All right. So Oliver is probably 2009. I'm going to say August 2009. Oh, really? That's when we officially... You know, we're back at it, but we dated previous before that too. So, so when was that? When you that met? That was 2000. Oh, when we met? Yes. Oh, I know exactly when that is. That was at a uh, a con- slightly stupid concert oh, nice. in 2004, I would say October ish. So basically. Not far. About a year off. Yeah, okay. not bad at all. That's not terrible. Steven, what's Craig's biggest fear? I know, I mean, this man doesn't fear much because we, uh, he's taken a few journeys, we've taken a few journeys, and you kind of learn some fears to, to deal with that. But I know that probably his biggest fear is uh, not being the guy he really wants to be, maybe, or, um, you know, we all have that fear of being, uh, I don't know, this guy doesn't fear much, but I, I but I'm thinking like, Maybe deep down you're like, am I – you question if you're good enough. Maybe that's one of your fears. Um, you know, I would have a hard time uh, uh, thinking about that. I, I actually think that me and you – I'll answer the same question – probably have a very similar fear, and that is to fall short on being the dad that, that yes, our kids want us to be. So the only thing that I fear is that maybe I'm not giving my kids the tools they need exactly in order to about. succeed I was looking for like drowning ghosts. Things. Okay, but, that's fine. Not afraid, <laughs> not afraid of any of that. Okay, cool, cool. I would say uh, poison snakes don't. No, no, no snakes, spiders, so. none of that. I didn't think so. saw that. Suck the poison right out, spit it back oh, at the snake, I done it. and turn that snake into a pair of shoes. All right, me. Do I have any fears? Well, I, I, that's I, I thought. I thought not your fear would be something. would be uh, <laughs> probably losing your kids or oh, uh, some, something bad happening. I to think your that's kids. just a. Parental fear. I, I agree. I agree. It makes everything but else pale I agree, in comparison. But I'm going to give him a, a, an unpaid for endorsement. Steve is seriously one of the best fathers I've ever seen. He's a dude you. that I look Don't up to that. when it comes to parenting our children. You guys aren't doing terrible. You're a little off in each question, except for the uh, pizza Not bad. And taco night. Not that's bad. okay. All right. You, got, you guys ready? Because these yeah. are about to get crazy. Yes. <laughs> oh, this geez. is where it gets good. Steven, at what age did Craig lose his virginity? Oh, Jesus. This steed over here, he had. Hair sprouted at like eight. So I actually did. It's true. I'm gonna say. I think I heard a story. Um, Tell me it was a school teacher. I'm gonna. I want to say eleven, but I'm gonna say thirteen. No, man. No, no. What do we got here? I was a late bloomer, man. I, I was. Uh, it was after a homecoming football game. I was uh, sixteen years old. That's a, I was sixteen. Wow, interesting. I thought maybe someone deflowered you when you were just a young. No, man. man. I was the captain of the football team, and I made. Oh, some, really? I, yeah, made, I, made I made some gals' dreams really come true. <laughs> you, you were actually the captain of the football. I team? I was one of them. Yeah. Huh. What was your uh, position? Inside linebacker. Seth, I was a safety. Seth is amazed you were captain of a football team. That's true. You yeah. really let yourself go. Oh, I, believe me. Yeah. Four, Forty-five pounds ago, I was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, do I get to guess these? Yeah, Craig, yeah. same question. Uh, I would say it was probably in the rectory of St. Boniface in probably 
Irish. So that would put me at fourteen. 14. No, I, I'll, I'll guess. Uh, I'll guess. Uh, yeah, fifteen years old, probably. Sixteen. Oh, sixteen sophomore 20s. year. Twenties. I may have been. Uh, I may have been in between fifteen and sixteen. Oh. I was doing all sorts of stuff before that. Well, that's what I'm saying. If we're, if we're using Bill Clinton's definition, then sixteen. If we're going back before that, then I'm not really like eight. Or, yeah. We're going right. to give it to us. All right. Um, Steven, how much does he have in his checking account right now? Oh, oh gee, we're good. both you know, living by the hair of our Take teeth. Take a stab at this one. This ought to be good. Jesus. Oh, yeah, it, in your savings or checking? You don't have to display. <laughs> savings? <laughs> well, hey, that's a good one, right? That's a good one. <laughs> I, I wear a monocle and a top hat. I'm going to say great. in your... Just your checking, not counting all of your other accounts you have going on. I'm going to say Any overseas three hundred and seventy-five dollars right now. Uh, all you have to do is say yes or no. You, you don't have to disclose if you don't feel comfortable with. It. No, but but not far off. Probably you know. That. Well, that's mine. So I, <laughs> what, wait, why did you? I, I had no, to. Like you know, what? I'm around there. I think I'm over. I think I'm a little bit. Over. They're uh, they're uh, yeah. I would I would guess that Steve's got a, a heavy nickel in there at any given time. There's there's 500. The family can fall back. That's on. what we gotta do. All right, we, we got we have emergency money in there. I got one it. more question for you. Anything from the audience? Any text in general? We got um, a couple. I think. Does Craig know when Steve's first time getting high was? Hmm, that's a good one. I almost put that on there, but yeah. I was like, yeah, hey, I don't know. If I'm um, I'm going to guess. Uh, actually, you would think a little early, but I'm gonna actually I'm gonna guess fifteen. There you go. Nice. That would put me sophomore, uh, freshman in between freshman and sophomore. That's really? Me and That's thirteen. Me and or my uh, my best buddy and I we stole a little bit out of uh, his dad's laundry robe. That he would hang, and he'd, nice. t- he'd put that robe on before he went down to the basement to do some laundry. <laughs> you weren't fooling anybody, Pop. Uh, yeah, so we got a little bit out of that, and I don't know if we really had it, but then I uh, smoked a bunch of Blizz Nuns with a bunch of Latin Kings at a party not much at- later after that, and I had them rolling, dude, in this house party, all these Latin Kings, and I was like, this is my jam right here. This is my zone. That's Let me get my zone, dude. It sounds like those years, like 15 and 16 for you, is quite a party. Like oh, it was. I peaked. One classic. I peaked. About you. It was bad. <laughs> you have to be I peaked in like fourth grade. Um, you want to take a stab at me? Yeah, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to say a little bit later, 17. 12. Wow. I, yeah, I went outside uh, with, a, with a friend's older brother. We, we stepped out back and he's like, hey, you got this. And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. You know, he's like, it's I've not going to the commercials, you, bro. You know? Exactly. <laughs> And uh, ended up doing it and uh, sat down and watched the movie Heavy Metal, the old animated uh, classic. Oh, and man. it was like it changed my life, man. We watched that and it was it was followed by Pink Floyd's The Wall. We watched I that. Say, I and watched I had that uh, first. they had a toaster like, oven, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember eating everything in sight. And I had these uh, they had like these hot link sausages and I put them in the toaster oven. And I don't know, it was, you know, Stony Baloney Craig's kind of a, a fool. I took chocolate and melted it over the top of these hot links, and I was just cramming mm. them in my face. The next day, I hated my life. <laughs> it was an awful choice. Um, Twelve, but yeah, I was young, but I, I didn't uh, continue doing it because I was, you know, I, I played a lot of sports and stuff like that. And I thought, no, oh, there's no way I can yeah, maintain I, a competitive edge. That's what I thought. You know, so I kind of stepped away from it. Uh, you know, dabbled with with alcohol a little bit when I was younger, but dabbled. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was pretty so young. So you get how, when do you? Get, no, I won't go any further with that. We'll 
We got a lot of law enforcement okay. listening to this radio right, show. Anything boys. else on the text line before I shoot out the um, uh, Someone last... was making fun of Craig saying uh, powder puff football. Oh. <laughs> I've never owned a shirt with an animal on it. <laughs> it's um, Pitbull shirt. <laughs> Pitbull shirt. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I got that going for me. Yeah, I know. Hey, I'd rather wear that than one of those hilarities. I oh, I hate it. It's supposed about. to be like funny or whatever. It's like a stupid thing that people. Probably the funniest shirt I've ever seen was Jesus running away from the tomb. And it says YOLO. Psych. Because <laughs> it's That's the only it. once. And then I, 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 I can, I can dig it. it. All right. Last question. Steve, if Craig had to use a scented prophylactic, what scent would he choose? Lavender, easy. Okay. What oh, you got? Put it to sleep. I put it to sleep. My Jimmy run deep. So deep. So <laughs> the deep. The anticipation's killing me. Uh, what would Steve's be? No. Was that your? Was that a right answer? Um, no, probably not. No, I, I think lavender. Starfruit. Starfruit. Is that... Is that an option? I don't even know. I, I think like I didn't even know. I, Seth is Seth's face when he said starfruit. He was appalled at no, you. I, you know what's funny is is I don't I don't much care for coconut, but I like the smell of it. So it probably well, I'm, I'm there. Coconut. I'm there. Okay, I'm there. I'm sure, they got him. Um, Steve's Me. would be like I don't know, like blown rubber and shame. Apple pie, big boy. <laughs> apple pie, sweet as apple pie. No, I, I, it has I, I, to be something we would assume would be on the market. Yankee I, I, I think he's a oh Yankee. Yeah, I think um, um, blueberry. Mm, I'm a fruity guy. You know that. <laughs> you got oh, that, right, Jack. Stop it. Um, mm. yeah, but I would really, I if I had to go with anything, yeah, I'd probably go with a cherryish. Okay, good. Right. Something cherry, okay. cherry. Blossom. I think you guys. Here's are... my cherry pie. Feel a little sweet and a little that was so loud in my ears. Well, but, but, probably everyone else. But yeah, I too. think you guys uh, are pretty evenly matched here. Yeah, uh, we, I, don't, we don't really care for one another and mm-mm. don't know anything about it. I'm going to dub you as best friends. Aww, I, you did it. I like you. Craig. Anything else I like on that you there? Text line, Stephen. Nope, no one is listening. Someone Nobody's says listening. no. Yeah, you have to have listeners to get people to text in here. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Nobody. Somebody. Ooh, so, so, so we, I'm have, the winner of the we game. have scientifically determined that Steve and I are equally yoked. I mean, this is good stuff right here. Like, I got a whole team together, and we researched, like, what really bonds two people together. You know what this is? Like, Match.com, but for friends. Uh Uh-oh. The Uh State Farm commercial? Oh, yeah, it is. But it's also the clap beat for something else. It's happening. It is the... How does it go? (laughs) One, two, three. You like movies. So do we. You like internet. So do you. Streaming picks of the week. It's the streaming picks of the week. Come on. It's the streaming picks of the week. We like the internet, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. All right, we got some streaming picks. This is what everyone loves. They love to know what to watch, what not to watch they are on the streaming. In. They love this. It's, we were missing a little uh, pure plowboy, our old uh, board op. He was the greatest at this. He was really good at this. He always Hall found the, the, the strange ones. He did. You know? He did. What do you got for us this week? You want me to go uh, ahead and, you want to go ahead and start us off? I got something good. I think I'm going to revert to an older one that I haven't talked about on this show, but okay. go ahead. Okay, we can do that. What I watched this week, uh, I've been flipping through Amazon. I flipped through Netflix a little bit. You gave me a, a Plex thing. Should I say that out loud? Maybe not. Um, but no, I got fine. okay. I got some Plex. So I've been watching some newer movies on that. Um, but Netflix, I tried those little documentaries that they've been doing, like those eleven-minute documentaries they just released. Like, uh, how does it all work? 
and it was Bitcoin and all that stuff. I tried to watch that. It looked interesting. I don't know. I know what they're trying to do with the 11-minute mark, and I get that. So I'll probably go back to the well on that one eventually. Um, but I, what I did watch on Amazon Prime, and my wife was even into it and wanted to watch it a little bit, my beautiful wife, Jen, um, Dude, You're Screwed. Have you heard of it? I have not heard of it. Okay. It, it takes a few of the guys. You've seen them all. Maybe one of the guys you haven't seen, but they're on all those survival shows. Um, like Bear Grylls? Yeah, but not Bear Grylls. Okay. It's, it's those other guys. Okay. Um, I think one guy may have been on the... Where, Survivor Man? Eh, There's a couple well, of them. He had the bare feet, and the other guy was like the Navy SEAL. I think the Navy SEAL guy's on the show. Okay. Um, that was pretty good. Living well, I don't know. Um, but this is where they take... It's like a Navy SEAL, uh, Army Ranger, and some hardcore Take dudes. all the Special Forces dudes. Yes. They have a British guy from the Special Forces. SAS, and Marine what, Force Recon. Yes. So what they do, all the guys we kind of hang out with now, yeah. you know what I mean? That we're kind of rubbing elbows with. That for sure. Totally don't have any respect for us, but that's okay. They shouldn't. Um, so what they do is they kidnap the guy at the beginning. And I'm sure it's all BS kidnapping. So they're like, oh, yeah, we find, hey, buddy, come to this place and you know they'll shoot them with a net or whatever and they black bag them and then they drop them off in the middle of nowhere oh man and each guy gets to give uh one or two excuse me one or two little uh gifts or presents to the person so they'll give them stuff to make arrows they'll give them uh maybe a little canteen that they can make and what these guys do and they got to find civilization that's the whole goal and Three days, I believe, they got to find civilization. Okay. And it, these guys know what's up, man. They are trained to live. It's not naked and afraid where you got a Bobo starving in the woods for 21 days. That's all naked and afraid is, someone starving in the woods. And then it's like, oh, last day we found a big old alligator carcass that we can all eat. Oh, it's so good. Oh, we did it. We did it. Okay. Stupid. <laughs> We're gay. Yeah, we are. And so with this show, it's a great <clears throat> it's a great new Survivor show. So cool. if you're into it, check it and out. It's, and they're putting badasses in the jungle. and and Yeah, it's a little campy. It can be a little campy, but dude, you're screwed. Amazon Prime. Check it out. I'm going to go back to one that I would mentioned on a previous show last year, but I, I had a guy asking, hey, what's some documentaries you've been watching? And I, I went through our whole little gamut, you know, uh, Orange Sunshine, Sunshine Makers, uh, Love it. Dirty Pictures. Um I'm not sure if I've ever talked about Dirty Pictures no, uh, you haven't. on the show. So maybe I'll, I'll – you know what? I'm going to go ahead and use that one. Okay. Dirty Pictures. Uh, it's a documentary. You can find it on Amazon Prime or well, you, you can actually find you really it on, had nothing, right? on YouTube as well. I got two, but yeah. <laughs> I actually re-watched – I watched, re-watched Beltraki again. Like you I, did. I love that one. Oh, it's it's just so great. I tried to watch it with my kids. The subtitles were kind of hard mm, for them. But yeah, they I'm can't like, read. just watch the subject matter. It's great. Anyway, uh, Dirty Pictures. It's on Amazon Prime. It's also you can also find it on YouTube. It documents the life of Sasha Soljan, who is the a guy that resynthesized MDMA in the '60s. He's a famous psychonaut, um, and he's you know he's basically had approval from the government to he's a chemist and he has uh, explored all of these different psychedelics and everything. It's really interesting because he has he's a pioneer in a lot of different psychedelic substances, and to me, it's crazy what he's doing because they're he's a he's a test subject he's a lab rat you know and so he starts with these things not really knowing what a what a proper dosage is and uh he's um it's it's really pretty impressive he's a super brilliant man he he goes into great detail some of the different experiences he's had on these different psychedelics he's an amazing um 
Holy moly, that ambulance was just blowing by coming through my earphones here. This is real this radio. This is real radio. Yep. Sasha Soljan, check it out. It's called Dirty Pictures. It's on Amazon Prime. You can also find it on YouTube. It's about an hour and a half long. Um, he's a pioneer in the uh, in psychedelic science. And uh, like I said, he didn't invent MDMA, but he did. He was the person that brought it back into the ma- mainstream as a uh, treatment for depression and things like that. He resynthesized it, and he told these people, hey, he talked to these different psychiatrists. You know, hey, this this could have real lasting effects for people dealing with depression. Um, super calculated guy, never shows much emotion one way or the other. You can tell that he has seen some stuff, and he explains some of his experiences experimenting with these different substances, taking micrograms at a time because not really knowing what the proper dosage is until he finds it. Those guys, man. He's a he's, he's a pioneer. It's crazy. Psychonauts. You want to talk the about the space, the final frontier? Well, inner space, what is the that? final frontier. Uh, Albert Hoffman. Albert, uh-huh. Hoffman. Albert yeah. Hoffman. Yeah. No, Hoffman. That's the way. Hoffman. That's the way uh, uh, Michael Pollan pronounces it. In well, his and book. when Albert Hoffman, you Hoffman. Know, when he when he found uh, the LSD, he found it on accident. It, yeah. it had bled through his skin. Yes, and he took a dose that would not be recommended to <laughs> anybody, and rode his bike home in it's the a, fungus of the rye bread. Correct? Isn't that where? It, uh, yes, I believe that is correct. Yeah, I'm no. not yet begun to defile myself. Oh man, let's go watch a movie. If that was a, if he was a, if Doc Holliday wasn't a real person in history, which I guess John Payne kind of bent the rules on Raul Duke with Hunter S. Thompson, which is a great choice. By oh the yeah. Way. Uh, you know, if, if Doc Holliday is probably Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday is my oh, favorite character played in in the history of, One of cinema. My favorite too. Just that, um, he killed it. Mm, I should have picked that as my favorite. Hey, we got a bunch of cool things coming up. You want to tell them about the cotillion? I do. Who's your cotillion? July twenty seventh through 29th. Oh, it's it's a float awesome. trip. It's a two day camp. We want you to come down. We want you to bring your drums, bring your guitars, bring your smiles. I will. I'll bring, bring all your of smiles. That. We're going to get together. We're going to camp. You know, it's going to be a beautiful. Beautiful weekend um, where we're all going to come together, show a little bit of love for one another. We're going to get on the river, the same river Steve and I took my kids down to. Uh, it's beautiful, Took all guys. of our kids down here, too. It's a beautiful part of Missouri. We're going to dance. We're going to love the Hoosier Cotillion. Check it out on the Sophisticated Hoosiers page, also on the Hoosier, Hoosier Sophisticated page. Uh, you can, buy, tic- down, you can buddy. buy tickets right there. We're trying to cram a lot in here. Um, the merch store, you can actually buy tickets on the merch store. There's uh, Everything's up that we have in stock right now. We are on iTunes. We are? We're on iTunes, man. And if I have it my way, by the end of the weekend, we'll be on Stitcher and all the other uh, podcasting apps um, so that you'll be able to listen to us on the go. And uh, that's kind of what's going on in the in the Hoosier Sophisticate land. I think next week we've got former Hells Angel President George Christie will be joining us. Uh, Chris gonna, Christie's coming on the show? George Christie. Oh. Uh, he was very high up in the Hells Angel organization. Uh, I think just right next to Sonny Barger. He's going to come in. He's going to talk to us. He's got a one-man show. He's giving away tickets uh, next week. So tune in. Uh, it should be a very, very interesting show. LifetimeSTL.com. What's James Carlton? CarltonInsurance.net. We got to give them MoMedCanCo.com. I'd also like to give a little shout out to the Battle Buds Medicinals. A bunch of veterans started their own cannabis company in Colorado. If you can, give them a love. Um, Vibe Tribe, we're going out to uh, the 09 Club right after this. Meet us down at the 09 Pub down in Hampton. We're going to go raise some money for Adderley. Uh, The family needs our help, guys. Jen, I'm just going for one. St. Louis and the world, thanks for listening to Craig, Seth, and I. We're out here. We're putting our hearts out there. We're trying to make a change a little bit wherever we can. Thank you guys so much. Be well, Hoosiers. People say I'm lazy.